All right, so welcome again, everyone, to Drisha's spring program and the first class of this session on halachot of mental illness. We value everyone's active participation and again, encourage you to turn on your videos if you feel comfortable. Uh, it's nice when you teach to see the faces uh, of everyone. Uh, feel free to also ask questions either by unmuting yourself or by putting questions uh, here in the chat on Zoom or as comments on Facebook. Uh, while positions regarding a multitude of scenarios in the realm of physical health have been crafted over centuries of halachic literature, questions of mental illness have unfortunately received very little attention. This series will consider how halacha responds to mental illness, considering topics from earliest, earliest sources to contemporary application. We will consi consider various scenarios, examine the challenges that come with them, and the various solutions that might be offered to mitigate these challenges. It's my pleasure to introduce Rav Yoni Rosenzweig, Rabbi Yoni Rosenzweig. Rav uh, Rosenzweig is a community rabbi in Beth Shemesh, a Ramat Midrash uh, Lindenbaum, and author of several books. And we are very excited to have him with us today. So with that, I'll turn this to you, Rav Rosenzweig. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, it's so my first time uh, teaching uh, at Risha, so um, it's always nice to try something new. Um, and um, I'm hoping that uh, we can learn a lot together um, about this very, very important topic um, of Allah and mental health. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to um, look at some sources. I put together uh, some uh, 30 sources for our show today. We're not gonna go through 30 sources, don't worry. Uh, there's absolutely no way ever in the world that we would be able to do that, but that's okay. Uh, it's good to aspire to uh, to big things. Uh, we're going to go through a few of them. I want you to get more of a feel um, for the topic than I, you know, uh, than I want you to know every single source on the book with regards to this issue. Um, before I get to the sources, which will be a little bit um, a tad, um, uh, you know, arduous, so get ready for a little bit of work. Uh, with regards to textual analysis. Um, before we get to that, let me just quickly explain what we're trying to do today uh, to give it some context. Uh, what we want to do is to try and figure out whether psychosis in and of itself is a reason to consider someone in a life-threatening situation. We know that in halacha, when someone is in a life-threatening situation, what we call Pikuach nefesh, that you can abrogate the law for him almost in anything. That even Torah prohibitions are pushed aside uh, for someone who um, is in a life-threatening situation. So if he, um, right, if he was, God forget, God forbid, right, if he uh, was in a car crash or if he was in some other life-threatening, so we would we would drive him on Shabbat. Right? If someone's pregnant and they're giving birth, we drive her on Shabbat to, to, to the hospital because we know that this is a potential life-threatening situation and we don't want to take any chances. So uh, that's what we do. Now, obviously, if someone is uh, mentally ill to the extent that they're physically ill, um, then once again, we would say that that's a pikuach nefesh situation, a life-threatening situation, which would definitely entail, um, you know, leniencies, right? So I'll give you an example of that. Um, so for example, uh, someone suffering from anorexia nervosa, right? If someone, suffering from, some, if someone is suffering from that, that could definitely lead to a situation where they're so underweight um, that they're physically in a pikuach nefesh situation. Physically, they are now in danger. And that physical danger was the result of a mental um, uh, disorder that they have. But that, that in and of itself is not a chiddush, right? That in itself is not new to us. What does it matter what the source is? What does it matter if the source is cancer or the source is anorexia? It doesn't matter what the source is. If at the end of the day, the uh, body is currently um, in, a, in a state where it is in danger, the laws would be, you know, abrogated in order to help the individual regain their health, right? That's obvious. My question here today that I want to talk to you about is whether psychosis in and of itself, in and it of itself, um, is considered a choleshe yesh bosakana, someone who is in danger, a choleshe ein bosakana, someone who's sick who's not in danger. 
what exactly is the status for someone who is either psychotic or might deteriorate into psychosis unless we do something for that individual? That's the question that I want to ask. And it's a very important question because, for example, let me give you an example. Let's say someone is in danger, right, of deteriorating into a psychosis unless they are hospitalized in a certain uh, place, okay? And let's say that place that we wanna hospitalize them in is not kosher, does not keep Shabbos, does not uh, serve kosher food, right? Someone in that institution um, would have to violate some very significant laws to get better or to prevent themselves from deteriorating to a psychotic state, right? So you can, you can imagine that this is a very, very significant question and one that is not simply um, answered, but it would depend on the very question that I'm presenting to you here. Because if we say, well, look, <laughs> you know, the guy's not in physical danger. The only problem is he'll lose his mind, so to speak, right? Colloquially, we say, we use that term, right? Um, you know, he would, he would not be completely cognizant of his surroundings. He would have delusions or hallucinations. Perhaps his schizophrenia would, would become, you know, more adverse, um, things of that sort. Okay, <laughs> that doesn't put him in a life-threatening situation. It's just that he becomes psychotic. So I guess, uh, you know, we wouldn't allow him to eat trafe and, and violate Shabbat, you know, etc. But this is the only institution that he can go to right now that would help him. But if we said that such a violation is warranted, if we said that such an individual, in order to prevent that individual from deteriorating into a psychotic state, that that would be legitimate, then we could allow such a person to be hospitalized in such an institution, despite the obvious Torah violations that they would have to go through. So I hope that that puts the question in perspective for you, meaning the question is definitely one that is uh, at base theoretical, okay? Uh, meaning it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question of definition, it's a question of principle. How do we define psychosis in terms of halachic terms? but um, has very real implications, very real world implications for, for a significant amount of people, I would say. Um, and my uh, research on mental health in the past three and a half years um, definitely bears that out. So that's our topic for today, okay? Um, and uh, um, that, was the, that was the interesting part of the year. Now you're gonna have to bear with me through like textual sources, you know? So, you know, uh, what can you do, you know? So if you're not interested in that, just go to sleep for like, 35 minutes and then come back, you know, like, well, we'll talk about other stuff soon. All right. So let me uh, share my screen with you. Um, and I, let me see what we'll do here. Where is it? There it is. Perfect. Okay. One second. Let's uh, do some things here. Let me make this a little bit larger for you because I have a feeling that what looks good size to me may look a bit small to you. All right. There we go. All right. Now, the main source is source one. Like I said, I know I have 30 sources here. I'm going to spend plenty of time on source one just to make sure you understand it. It's honestly the most important source in this entire page, OK? Everything else is commentary. But the source that you need to understand is this source. Reading from the Maset, from Masechet Yoma, Daf Pehey says the following. So Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah are walking, and Levi Hasadar and Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, were walking right behind them. And then the following question was asked, and here was the question. This is a very classic question, which we all know. If I asked any of you, um, <clears throat> what would be the halacha regarding Shabbos and pikuach nefesh? Do you desecrate Shabbat to save a life? You would all say, of course. But here's the thing. Why? Why is that so? Now, I'm sure some of you may know the answer to that. But the thing is, there isn't just one. There's actually quite a few answers that are given over here. Okay. So this question was asked from the rabbis. And several of them answered, uh, gave different answers, okay? So I'm actually not gonna read all the answers here, okay? There was, uh, the first answer was by Rabbi Ishmael, I'm highlighting his name, 
uh, Rabbi Ishmael answers one answer, okay? Uh, and he gives a source. Rabbi Akiva then, I'm skipping his answer, but Rabbi Akiva then gives a second answer to this question, okay? Which I'm also skipping for now, all right? And then after that, Rabbi Lazar uh, gives a third answer, okay? And he also offers an insight um, into, uh, into why it is that you would desecrate Shabbat um, for this purpose, uh, to save a life. After all that, we have a four, after that story, we have a fourth answer given by Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yuda, okay? And I'm skipping all four of these answers. What I want to get to is the next one, okay? Sorry, the one after the next one, because there's a fifth one, Rabbi Yonatan ben Yosef, he gives a fifth answer. Okay, but the last two answers are the ones that I want to focus on. So let's read the last two. And they, the, 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 the first one that I want to focus on is Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya. Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya Omer, Veshamru b'nei Yisrael et ha-Shabbat. Amra Torah, Chalel alav Shabbat achat, Kedei she'ishmor Shabbatot harbe. The first answer that's given over here that we're learning, it's actually number six in the Gemara, but the first one that we're learning, Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya says, that it says, Veshamru b'nei Yisrael et ha-Shabbat. B'nei Yisrael keep the Shabbos. That seems to be an ideal. Am Yisrael needs to keep the Shabbos. It's an ideal. So the Torah says, Chalel alav Shabbat achat Shabbatot You must desecrate the Shabbos once for this individual, save his life, so that in the future he may keep many Shabbos. Okay? Desecrate once to keep many Shabbos. This seems to be kind of like a cost-benefit analysis of desecration, meaning to say, we prefer to be mechalal once in order for him to keep many, many Shabbases. I don't think that that's a given, by the way. Not a, not a given that that would be the, the answer, that that would be the, the calculation. We don't always say that the ends justify uh, the means, right? In fact, many times we would say not so in halacha. But here we learn it from a pasuk. There is an ideal here that Bnei will need to keep Shabbos and that keeping the Shabbos, in a sense, comes before desecrating it. That's more important than the desecration of one Shabbos if they get to keep all the Shabbos. And that, that is our first source, okay? And that's what Bishimur ben Menasya. All these individuals, the five that I skipped and this one, Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya, that I've read are all Tanaitic individuals. They're all Tanaim. Okay, they belong to that generation of rabbis. But the next one is an Amora, and his name is Shmuel. He belongs to a later generation. Amara viewed Amar Shmuel, I'm reading in the Gemara. If I was there, I would tell them something else. I have a new, uh, I have a new reason to allow this. My reason is better than yours. What's my reason? The Pasuk says that the mitzvahs are given to be lived by. They're not given for death. They're not given to die by. They're given to live by. So if you have to die uh, in service of the mitzvahs, it's not worth it. So that's uh, Shmuel's um, uh, source. Uh, and Rava clearly, uh, quickly says, Marava. For all of these, there is a pircha. For all of these answers that were given, there is a way to refute them. Bar except for Shmuel's, the late lay pircha, he doesn't have a question on him. In other words, all the words of the Tanaim, with all due respect, uh, they have a question that you can ask on them. They're not so uh, simple. Um, but and then he continues, by the way, in the, in the next part, he continues to explain what the question is for each one of these opinions, why each one of them is, is, it runs into an obstacle. But Shmuel's opinion does not run into any obstacle. And one last thing before I continue, uh, before I summarize, actually. I'm uh, skipping to the last line of the source. Ve'ashkechan vadai, safek menalan. Ve'kulu ashkechan vadai, safek menalan. Meaning, says the Gemara, all of these um, opinions are good for a vadai pikuach nefesh. But what about a safek pikuach nefesh? Meaning, 
a lot of these reasons, but once again, I didn't read all of them, could be good for a situation where you're definitely uh, in a pikuach nefer situation. Then you know, for a vadai, for a definite pikuach nefer situation, you violate the Shabbos. But what about a suffix pikuach nefesh? The halacha, as I'm sure you know, allows to violate Shabbat even for a suffix pikuach nefesh, even for a doubt. That cannot be learned from the others. Let's take Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya as an example. Okay, supposedly you can't learn that from Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya because he said Chalel alav Shabbat achat ishmor Shabbatot Your mechal one Shabbos for what? So that he may keep many many Shabboses. Maybe you need to know that he may keep many Shabboses. Meaning you need to know how long he'll live, right? But if you have a suffix, whether he'll be able to keep many Shabboses, maybe not. So therefore, you can't learn. But v'chai bahem v'loshiyamut bahem, that may cover even a suffix, because any moment of life, any small, any second, any minute extra that the person is living is another moment of life. V'chai bahem v'loshiyamut bahem. It's irrelevant how long in the future he'll live. What only matters is that he'll live another moment, another second, another minute. That's all that matters. And if that's all that matters, then that works. So let me sum up uh, before I go on. Let me summarize what I've said so far. Okay. From this first source is the following three points. Okay. According to Rabbi Shimon ben Benasya, the reason to allow the desecration of Shabbat for Pikoach uh, Nefesh is Chalel Alab Shabbat Achat Shabbatot we desecrate one Shabbos in order to make the ability, to create the ability to keep many Shabboses. According to Shmuel, however, um, the uh, reason is bahem, a person needs to live in order to keep the mitzvahs. Therefore, life comes before the mitzvahs themselves and it takes precedence to everything. That's point one. Point two, Rava mentions a very important point. All of these um, have a question that can be asked upon them. All of these have obstacles that can be put in front of them. I didn't go through the obstacles, except for Shmuel. Shmuel has no obstacle. Shmuel's opinion is perfect. And the third point that I'd like you to take to heart is the distinction that is being made by the, with, uh, through the Gemara between a suffix and a vadai, meaning that the um, that the uh, uh, in a case of a suffix, right? You wouldn't necessarily know. Rabbi Shimon ben Benasia's opinion would not necessarily cover a situation of a suffix pikuach nefesh, but Shmuel's opinion v'chai bahem would cover also a suffix pikuach nefesh. Would cover suffix, would cover vada. I hope that all three points are clear. Um, and if they are, then we progress to the next stage, which is what's the halacha? Okay. Um, let me just see. I want to make sure I'm following in the chat here uh, the things that are going on. Uh, okay. Someone's uh, offered you to look on Sfaria. Uh, someone write, wrote here the fact that everyone brings one source but does not disagree with the law does not seem to discuss the source from which the law derives. The law is known. Yes. Okay. Well, that's that's. Uh, there's a lot to discuss there. <laughs> That sounds like the topic for a different year um, about how Chazal darshan and whether they, you know, like they darshan what was already known or whether it's known because it's darshaned and in which situation, whatever. I agree with the general contention in, in terms of the sugya, but like I said, it's a, it's a longer conversation. Okay. Um, anyway, let's focus. So we have here these, um, these two um, points, right, that are being made. What's the halacha? Which one of these individuals, we have actually seven opinions uh, in the Gemara, which one of them was paskind, uh, So it seems clear on the face of it that the ruling was according to Shmuel, because Shmuel is the one that's brought at the end. He says, Didi Adifa Mididhu, mine is better than yours. And also, Rava says that everybody has a kasha that you can ask, everybody has a difficulty that you can present for their opinion, except for Shmuel. So on the face of it, that's our golden ticket. And I think, really, I think a lot of people know that, that drasha. I think that that's a famous drasha 
than many people are aware of. And I guess if you ask like someone like on the street, you know, if you knew anything, you would probably know that, you know, um, or maybe they just wouldn't know on the street. It's not fair to ask people on the street, you know, but uh, nevertheless, um, is that so? So let me share my screen again and we'll look at the Rambam in source two. And you'll see that the Rambam agrees. The Rambam, when he talks about this uh, leniency, he brings indeed, he brings that, uh, that sort of a uh, Pasuk. What does the Rambam say? Very famous Rambam, you're not allowed to, to, to uh, dawdle, to take your time uh, in, in desecrating Shabbos for uh, someone who's in danger. Right? You have to do that. He brings the Pasuk that we spoke about, that a person does the mitzvahs in order to, you know, to, and does them when he's alive, and not that he should die doing them. Halamata, you learn, says the Rambam, in a beautiful piece that he writes, right? The rules of the Torah are not, not vengeance. The rules of the Torah are merciful, they're loving kindness, they're peace. And those heretics who say that this is Chil Shabbos to save a life, and it's Asr, the Pasuk reads about them. Sadaram is very clear on the fact that he believes that um, that it's a, that it's a, definitely from the and that there is a leniency regarding desecrating Shabbat in order to save a life. However, and this I did not bring in the sources that I'm telling you, um, you know, you'll just have to trust me on this one. Uh, there are many Geonim and Rishonim uh, who bring down the other Drasha. Rabbi Shimon ben Benasia, Rabbi um, Shimon ben Benasia, uh, are uh, is um, is um, is not uh, forsaken. <laughs> many many um, many many Rishonim and, and Geonim bring his opinion down. So even though the Rambam brings this down, you should know that Rabbi Shimon ben Benasia also appears. And now the question becomes, which one is correct? In fact, let me ask a different question: Why does it matter? Why does it matter which drasha we use? Well, the answer is matters a lot because but it, it, uh, these drushas could be used to justify or not justify different things. For example, again, I know that this question will shock you. That's okay, don't worry. I promise you the answer, halacha lemaisa is a good answer, okay? But should I save the life of a non-religious person? If the Tzvara is Chalel Alav Shabbat Achat Kadesh Yishmor Shabbatot Harbeh, he's not going to be Shomer Shabbatot Harbeh. Not as far as I know, anyway. Right? So why should I save his life on Shabbos? If it's Vechai Bahem Beloshia Mudbahem, if I have to save any life, Vechai Bahem, then I guess it wouldn't depend if he was a keep on his head or not. If he's Orthodox or not, it wouldn't matter. But if the person is being saved because of Chalel Alav, because of Rabshom Menasia, then um, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be uh, saving his life, right? I can give an opposite example if you want. Do we save the life of a fetus on Shabbat? It's the opposite, the opposite Svara. yeah? If uh, I'm trying to save a life, right? The fetus is not yet a living creature, okay? Meaning it's living, whatever, abortions, we could talk about all those things, yeah? But the point is that from that perspective, v'chai bahem shouldn't apply to a fetus because he's not yet a fully fledged living person, which is why, of course, if the fetus uh, uh, threatens the mother, then the fetus is terminated because the mother is a fully is a full fledged individual, a human being, and the fetus is not. But if we say chalil alav shabbat achat, that applies to a fetus too. Let's say mechal shabbat save a fetus because if we save him, then eventually he'll get born. And he'll be able to keep any Shabbos's and great, right? So you see that deciding whether it's one or the other may have halachic ramifications, may have halachic ramifications, but whether it's one or the other. So that, those, that's a significant question. It applies to so many situations, you have no idea, yeah? Um, that the post can talk about, okay? In terms of that, in terms of, let's say, someone who, who is a gear, who is, you know, in a conversion, you know, and it also applies, it also applies to our question of a shote, which I will get to momentarily, okay? But it also applies to the question of someone uh, who uh, is not of, uh, in, uh, not completely um, 
um, of sound mind. Save life of a non-Jew on Shabbat. Yes, 100%, right? So once again, you can write, you, you're getting the gist of it. I can see you're getting the gist of it. Okay, so we, you know there are sources about all these sorts of cases and we can, uh, we can play this game all day, um, but I don't want to uh, waste our time uh, on, on all these hypotheticals. Uh, so let's get down to business. So, okay, the question is, which one is which? Now, there are different opinions uh, in the acronym, and I can show you all of them right now. But let me share my screen with you to show you at least a little bit of them, okay? A little like one or two, just so that you'll see, you know, I'm not lying, there are other opinions, let's see. Um, <clears throat> for example, the Beit Meir, okay? One of the acronym, uh, he, he's a, he's a uh, I think he's a 19th century, if I'm not mistaken, 19th century achron um, who comments, Romer Posner, who comments on the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, and he writes as follows in a discussion that he had with a more famous Akron named Rabbi Akiva Eger, perhaps you've heard that name. And in his discussion, he, he says the following, Since the main purpose of saving a life is so that he keeps many Shabbos, someone who is not growing up to be a religious individual. He was taken uh, away from the religious community. He won't keep be keeping Shabbos when he grows up. He was taken uh, captive as a child and he believes that he's a non-Jew. Therefore, you wouldn't necessarily save him on Shabbat. Even though Shmuel learned a heter from the Pasuk Vechaibahim, and that's different, Mikol Makom, nevertheless, says the Beit Meir, Mistama, the assumption is, for whatever reason he assumes this, Lot Palig Ledina. He doesn't, he's not Cholek Halachalamaise, Al Hatana Shalamdu, Min Veshamru. He doesn't disagree with Rabbi Shimon ben Menasia. He admits, if the person is definitely not going to keep Shabbos, we're not Michal Shabbos. Look what against that writes Rabbi Akiva Eger, who responds to the Beit Meir. He says, My heart is not as sure as your heart about this. There are many reasons given in the Gemara. One Tana says we learn from a Kalvachomer, which I didn't share with you. Rather, we're Michal Shabbos for the for the body of the person. Vigamhi Gufa Kasha also have another another difficulty with this. Since the drush of Shmuel is which we learned. How do we know that it's only if he keeps many Shabbos? How do we how do we know that? And so he says, I'm skipping a little bit. He says, rather, it's clear to me. Torah cares for a nefesh, me Israel, for a Jewish soul. Shabbos is allowed to keep alive any Jewish soul, whether religious or not religious. It's very difficult for me to agree. To agree with what you have just said. So you see here um, the difficulty that Rabbi Akiva Eger has with this with this position. But this position does exist, right? You see, the position exists. The Beit Meir holds by this position. Rabbi Akiva Eger disagrees. This this is a very ancient machlok. I think your internet might be frozen, Rabbi uh, Rosenzweig. Can you hear me? Um, handled. Oh, uh, we we um, actually missed uh, we missed the per, uh, the past like thirty seconds. Oh, was I out of touch? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So if you could just go thirty seconds back and just repeat what you said, that would be wonderful. Oh, looks like you're still frozen. If you can hear me, I suggest maybe even logging out and logging back in. Sorry, everyone, for the inconvenience. Can you hear me, Rabbi Rosenzweig? 
Okay, so looks like got back in. I apologize. I apologize for my internet connection. <laughs> That's okay. Can, uh, maybe just uh, go back a little bit. Go uh, yeah. a little bit yeah. back. Okay, okay. great. Um, hopefully that won't happen again. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Um, yes. So my so all I'm saying is that uh, this 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 machloket has been going on for a while. Uh, you know, the Beit Meir and the and Rabbi Akiva Eger are just an example of that. Um, but uh, it's not something that we that we uh, that we don't see in machloket about. You know what exactly is the drusha? But here I want to ex uh, express something to you, which is very, very significant, very, very important. Okay, um, the Beit Meir, Rameir Posner, is explaining that these drushas interact, but they interact in a way that is they constrict each other, they reduce each other. Okay, in terms of how much they affect the halacha. All right, so in other words, what is he saying? He actually says both are halacha. But he says like this, when you say v'chai bahem v'loshi amut bahem, that is guided by the principle of chalelala. You cannot be guided by the principle v'chai bahem alone. You're guided by v'chai bahem as is defined by chalelala. Okay, by Rosh Hashanah so one is defining the other. You will not apply. In other words, you will not apply the chai bahem unless it also is mekayim chalel of Shabbat achat. That's basically what he's saying. Okay. And what Rabbi Akiva Eger is saying is no, the chai bahem stands alone. You don't need to define the chai bahem by the other drasha. But now let me offer to you another option. Maybe we can say that both drushas are paskind. Perhaps we can really say that. Perhaps we can claim that both brushes are paskin, but in a different way. And let me share my screen once more to show you the Bir Halacha. One moment. Okay, look at the Bir Halacha over here in source 10. Bir Halacha is uh, the Mishnah Bura, also known as the Mishnah Bura. Okay. Says the Mishnah Bura the following Aval Ledina, Halacha Lamaise. It doesn't depend on whether he's going to keep the mitzvahs or not going to keep the mitzvahs. The reason is not that we're, we, 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 we're doche one mitzvah for many mitzvahs, that we, we, we push aside one mitzvah in order to keep other mitzvahs. That's not the reason. We push aside all the mitzvahs for a Jew's life. Doesn't matter what the Jew is, uh, keeping mitzvahs, doesn't, doesn't matter. As Shmuel learns from Vichai Bahim, as the Ramam writes in Hilchot Shabbos. Okay? And then he says, according to this, it's clear, even if it's a, a katan, right, a young boy who is merutzatz, meaning he's not going to live long, but you can lengthen his life a little bit more on Shabbos. Mechalalin, he says, you are mechalal. Afal pide lo yishmor Shabbatot. Yom lo yitvadeh velo yavol yichlal gadol. Afal pichen mechalalin. You are mechal Shabbos, even if he can't say vidui, even if he can't do any mitzvahs, even if he's not going to keep other Shabboses, it doesn't matter. Vekmochen hu hadin also, look, notice, cheresh veshoteh. Shoteh is our case of a, of a person with psychosis. I'll explain why in a second. But the same thing is for people who are not obligated in mitzvahs. We are Mechal Shabbos for these individuals. The fact that they're not Mechayim a mitzvah, that's because that they have an onus, okay? That they're forced not to, okay? And therefore he says clearly, that is what you would do. Now, what is the Mishnah Bura saying over here to us, actually? Um, what the Birlach is saying um, is actually that, um, that um, we actually are paskening both things, Allah okay? We're actually paskening both things, Allah Meaning I said before, that you can have also Khalil Alav 
and also v'chay um, bahem. Uh, that basically the Beit Meir, Mayor Posner, is using both, but he's using one to reduce the other. What if we could do the opposite? What if we could use both and one to enforce the other, one to bolster the other? That would be a different story. Meaning to say that v'chay bahem will cover cases that are not covered by chalel alav, and chalel alav will cover cases that are not covered by v'chay bahem. So we use both of the drushas in order to cover all the cases. And indeed, many, many achronim uh, hold that way. And basically, we use both to cover all the cases. If that's true, if that's true, that would mean that chalel alav shabbat achat kadesh yishmor shabbatot harbeh is a halachic principle that is paskind, that is held by, and that we should use in order to define who can be Mechal Shabbos, and for what purposes. And you might say, okay, that's nice, but what's, what are you trying to say? Like, what's the difference between, you know, for our purposes, between using Chalil Alav and uh, other things? So let me explain. Let me take a pause from the sources for a second, and let me explain, okay? What is a shote? The term shote is used many times in Tanaitic sources, in Gemara sources, uh, literally, I guess it would mean someone um, who has lost their capacity to think clearly. I'm going to get to the, get to the, um, keep on writing in the chat. I'll get to it eventually. Okay. I promise. Um, but, uh, uh, right. Someone who is a shote, someone who basically cannot think properly um, or understand what's going on around him. Such an individual is exempt from all the mitzvahs, exempt from all the mitzvahs. That's what that person, uh, that's the status of that person. What is the definition of a shote today? So I don't know if you uh, realize uh, I've been writing a book for three and a half years together with a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Uh, Shmuel Harris. Here in Israel, he's a psychiatrist. Uh, we've been writing a book on halacha and mental health. That's why I'm giving this course uh, in the first place uh, because of my work uh, on halacha and mental health. The book hopefully will come out in a few months. Um, either way, um, looking at the designation of Shota and trying to define it in current uh, mental health uh, uh, definitions, uh, working together with my friend, the psychiatrist, uh, I, think, I think we can say that someone who is suffering from a psychosis is a Shota, meaning we have to differentiate between neurosis and psychosis. Okay, someone who has, a, someone who has neurotic um, is not necessarily a shota and usually isn't a shota. I, I don't know if always you can say that, but I would say 99% of the cases of someone with a neurosis would not be considered a shota. But someone with a psychosis would, why? What's the definition? What's the, what, are we, what are we looking for over here? Someone with a psychosis usually lacks insight. What does it mean lacks insight? So let me give an example. Let's say you have someone with uh, OCD, right? And they wash their hands all the time. If you came to them and said to them, hey, you know, you're washing your hands all the time, more than other people, they can understand that. They can see that. It's not something that they can't understand, right? When you point it out, they have the ability to reflect on that and respond to it, get help or whatever. But someone who is psychotic many times has, no, not, has not the ability to reflect upon this issue. Right. Let's say let's say I made a let's say I made a joke or a comment during this year. Right. It was a bad joke. Okay. And then after a class, uh, Evie sent me an email. She said, "You know, Rigoni, you really put your put your foot in your mouth there. You know, I would probably be able to look back at that and say, you know what? Maybe you're right. Yeah. But someone who has no insight, no ability to self-reflect, no ability to understand, to look at themselves in a sense from the outside. Right. That person." Uh, is, is lacking a very significant skill. And it's not just a skill, meaning there's something wrong, right? Someone who is delusional, right? Who sees things, who hallucinates. Individuals who are psychotic many times can't tell the reality from what is not reality. They have not the ability to self-reflect upon their problems. Um, does someone want to say something? Yes. Uh, there are many kinds of schizophrenia. There are different types of bipolar disorders. I work with people who have the diagnosis of schizophrenia and they may 
they may hear voices and they they can be uh, they can realize the voices are not real. It depends. There's there's so it's not one. It's a whole spectrum. So some I would agree with you. Some of them, but increasingly today, especially with better and better medications, there are many people who are labeled as having a psychotic disorder who can who are aware who who can you know and. Well, I mean, the terminology, it's ego dystonic, you know, they, they're, they don't, they realize it's not real, and they don't like what they have there. But mind you, it's same with bipolar, there are people, bipolar with disorder, um, bipolar with psychotic features, they be believe they're God or they're Jesus, whatever, I, I, mean, I have patients like that. And uh, uh, they show no insight, but there are others who do it. So it's especially nowadays, with even the last five, 10 years, there's been so much improvement. So, right. I assume you mean once they're, once they're uh, on medications and, and the yes, sort. Yes, although some even without medications, but generally one's on medication. But there are- right. I, I, mean, I was not referring to the medication, but yes, fair, fair enough. Of course, if they're on medication, it's a different story. I agree. But there are some even on, again, schizophrenia, so many different things. It's a, and nowadays, the new DSM, or the relatively new one, it's recognized. Psychotic yeah. disorders is a whole spectrum. There are ones, there are people who have a delusional disorder, only they, they're delusional about one thing. And they're, they're functioning well in every other way. I worked with someone who believed her brother was a wolf, yeah. literally yeah. a wolf, and, and, right. but in every other way, normal thinking. But, okay, but uh, halachically, if someone is a shotel davar echad, which is what you're describing over here, like delusional disorder, or like uh, body dysmorphic disorder, meaning where they have one issue, right, where they're, that also might categorize them as a shota, even though for all other intents and purposes, they're perfectly uh, uh, knowledgeable and understand what's going on around them. So it's, it's the question about the fitting the halachic definition to this specific case. But of course, of course, you're absolutely right. I, I, do, I do agree that it's case-based, okay? I just, believe, I just believe that generally, right, if you wanted to fit something to the term shote, then putting aside whether they're medicated, I'm not talking about someone who is under you know, medication and under, in a program or whatever it is, you know, et cetera, just someone without all that, we're talking about people who are generally psychotic. Is it everybody? I'm not saying everybody, but I would say that they're definitely not not the neurotics. We're talking about someone who has more significant issues with insight, and that's why I use those those criteria. Because you're right. If there is someone who is termed psychotic but has insight, has self awareness, has all those things, then you're right. It wouldn't fit. I agree. Yeah. I agree. That's why using the the terms, you know, uh, and I agree with you 100%. Using the names doesn't help, right? You know, using the names psychotic, neurotic doesn't always help because you can find people in that category that would fit this and that category would fit this. The case is really what matters, the specific case. Yeah, I'm just saying that it's changed. I've seen changes since the early 80s. Like it's a whole different universe. So I could see hopefully being optimistic in another 10 years, again, it'll move. It'll, it'll be of even worse. Of course, I think, uh, I think we, you know as well as I do that the first DSM was this and the fifth DSM right. is this. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's 100%. Uh, the landscape has changed significantly. Ever since uh, DSM-3, we've, we, we've witnessed a virtual explosion of uh, mental illnesses, you know, uh, but uh, 100%, 100%. Uh, no, I also feel a little like Sorry to like interject, but uh, also as a mental health provider, I also feel a little hesitant of like putting people on a false binary of um, being neurotic or being psychotic or being well or being unwell because most of these illnesses um, or mental health distresses that people experience are episodic or relapsing remitting and they get better and worse over time. And I mean, if I'm to look at the sources of what a shota is, um, it it's not just people who are psychotic. It could be people who stay, go out alone at night so are taking risks, right? That are unusual. It's people who sleep in a cemetery that might be because they're psychotic, but it could also be because they're severely depressed. It's somebody yeah. who tears their garments like they're in mourning, but they're not in mourning. So I so feel like 
this could be psychotic, but it could be a whole range of things. And like one of the questions, I guess, that I always have about like the definition of Shota and mm -hmm. how it's applied in like a real life application is like, is that also like, does the definition of being a Shota allow for fluidity? Or is that also fixed? Um, because I know so much of halakha is fixed, but it seems in this case that it would benefit um, okay. the people it's serving by being more fluid. Okay. Uh, we have a huge problem. <laughs> I have to leave in like five minutes, okay? So, so, so now, see, like, see, this is not good. But, but let, let me let me let me let me try and fix this problem. Okay, I'm going to put my email down. Okay, in the chat. So anybody who wants to criticize me and tell me how wrong I am can do so on email. Okay, um, and and that's fine. Okay, uh, I have so much. It wasn't to say. meant as a criticism. It was a question. No, that's okay. That's absolutely okay. I'm I'm totally cool with this. This is a great conversation. Don't get me wrong. Um, so here I'm just going to put this in here. It's ravioni at gmail.com. I have so much look forward to your comments. Uh, I want to tell you that what you said in like uh, in like a minute and a half, I wrote like 50 pages on uh, in for my book because that definition of a shote, right? Um, oh, that went just to someone. Oops. Okay, fine. Let me try again. I obviously wrote it just to one person. I'll do it. No worries. Go ahead. I'll I'll put the email. But yeah, anyone can email me. I'm happy to discuss these issues with everybody. I'll just say that that Gemara in Chagiga, which you referenced, Gimel Amud Bet Aleph regarding what is a shote uh, probably doesn't refer to what is a shote, a regular shote. It refers to a shote ladava rechad, which I mentioned to Joel before, you know, about someone who is psychotic for a specific issue or shote for a specific issue, but not in general. Whatever, there's a lot to talk about over here. There's a machlok at Rabbi Yochanan Ravuna over there. There's a whole discussion that uh, about a tosefta over there. There's a lot to say. So 100%, there, there's just so much. And, and you're like taking me down this rabbit hole. And, and I have to like answer a very, a very specific question right now, or else people are gonna say, hey, what do we come for? So let me, let, me, uh, let me get back on track and then I'll just get to the chats before I leave. I wanna make sure that I, I fielded the questions there, but please, please, please feel free to email me on ravioni at gmail.com. I am only too happy, first of all, to admit when I'm wrong and to correct my, my impressions if they're wrong. Like I said, I, I, everything I'm telling you is from my work with a friend of mine, a psychiatrist. I, I, I would never make mental health statements based on my own knowledge because I, I have none of my own. Uh, so therefore, everything I'm saying is from my work uh, together with uh, my friend for the last three years. But that said, I'm always open to hear uh, other people's perspectives. So please, please, please feel free to use that email. Anyway, what we learned from Chalilalav Shabbat Achat Shabbatot what I wanted to say was that if a person is unable because of lack of insight, lack of self, et cetera, et cetera, if they're unable to be mekayim the mitzvahs, that that in and of itself might put them into that category of chalel alav shabbat achat. And while I'm saying that kind of like in the air now, because I don't have time to show you in the sources, you'll see that a lot of the sources that I brought say that, that it's all about kind of like the spiritual achievement, the ability of the spiritual achievement of the individual. If they can achieve spiritually, that's Khalil Allah Shabbat Achat. We want him to be able to keep Shabbatot Harbe. We want him to be able to keep many mitzvahs, as many mitzvahs as possible. And if what I need to do now is hospitalize this individual in a ward, in a place where he won't keep Shabbos or won't keep kosher for a few weeks, but then he'll be able, as Joel explained to us before, through medication, through other things to control himself, to have the ability to live a normal life or semi-normal at least, then great then why not? Then on the face of it, we would say that that's fine, that we could do that, that we could, we could definitely hospitalize this person and take that because deteriorating into a state where you're a shote, to save yourself from that, yes, that is tantamount to pikuach nefesh of your body. Pikuach nefesh of your soul, of your mind, is the same in terms of chalel alav, is the same as pikuach nefesh of your body. That's what we're saying. V'chai bahem, is the halacha for your body. And halal alav is the halacha for your mind or your soul or whatever you want to call it. Your ability to be behind the mitzvahs is, is paramount over here and definitely can be uh, part of that heter, part of that leniency. So I would say 
then definitely that, that is true. And there are many sources to prove that. Let me just see uh, the, the chance here before I have to leave, okay? Um, wow, so many things that I just can't answer. Uh, how can we know what someone will do in the future? Right, 100%, that's part of it. And that's why also with the suffix, we allow uh, to do that. Why only Jews then? That's a, well, that's a whole thing about uh, saving non-Jews on Shabbat. Uh, I cannot answer that in any way right now. It's gonna be too difficult. Uh, what about a doctor who is on a call? Is he not obligated to save lives? Right, you know, 100%. So once again, I can't answer this question because it's so long, but a doctor definitely would have to save uh, non-Jewish lives today for a variety of reasons, which I'm not gonna get into right now. Uh, these were examples, I assume, of people who were uh, who don't, don't fit into my category, to, to my schizoaffective disorder, paranoid delusional disorder. Um, I assume these were like uh, supportive of what Joel was saying before. Uh, Cheryl is giving me uh, an interesting uh, reference. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, or everybody else rather. Um, Okay, and there's source sheets, wonderful, they were uploaded. When is it considered appropriate to use the label of Shota? This term is a very heavy halakhic label and someone who is suffering may feel additional shame from the community. Is this term applied to someone who is aware of its definition implications? It seems to be exclusive and not inclusive. So uh, I assume that you understand that when the Gemara used it, uh, PC was never even close to where it is today. Sensitivity was never was not close to where it is today. Uh, the terms and the 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 the, the, the how careful we are with using terms was not anywhere near what it is today. So of course, uh, they just use the term shote. In the book that I wrote with my friend, uh, Dr. Harris, uh, I am very careful with the use of the term. I do not call anybody a shote. I, 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 I use a very roundabout term uh, to define it, but I'm very careful with the terminology that I use. Either way, I know <laughs> that it's almost impossible not to hurt someone's feelings because for example, when I use, when I talk about autism, Sometimes when I use the term autistics, people say, say people with autism. And when I say people with autism, other people say to me, say autistics. So I, 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 I usually can't uh, be okay with everybody. Uh, the terminology here is just too, it's, it's a minefield with the terminology, but uh, you know, we do our best. I certainly do my best to be sensitive to people's needs and not to use terminology that they find uh, hurtful or triggering. Uh, those things, of course, are very, very important to me. Um, what about someone for whom a certain law causes sadness and takes away the joy of life? Is it considered anti-v'chai by him? I think that's it's a bit much uh, to say that because uh, then we're basically opening up the floodgates. Uh, unless, of course, taking away the joy of life means this person's suicidal. That, of course, you know, is uh, much more significant. Thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Rosenzweig. Am I interrupting you? No, no, uh, go ahead. I'm, I'll be here for the next two weeks. And, and like I said, I can see right now, I can see we are not gonna be able to cover even like a small smidgen of what I wanted to cover. And that's okay, because now you have my email and you can bother me day and night. It's all good. Wonderful. I did put the email uh, in the chat so everyone can uh, send you an email. Um, thank you so much again for this interesting first class in the series. I'm really looking forward to uh, next week and the following. And thank you everyone else who joined us today on Zoom, on Drisha Live and on Facebook. We continue our spring program tomorrow, Monday at 1 p.m. with the first class in the series, The Halachi Process, A Brief History. In addition, we have many more classes happening right now. You can find out more information as well as the registration links on our website at www.drisha.org classes, or you can watch live at www.drisha.org live. Thank you so much again for this opportunity to learn with you, Rabbi Rosenzweig, and for everyone else who attended. We hope to see all of you very soon at one of our upcoming classes here at Drisha.